You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. It's that time of year, it's post-Easter, so not only are we talking resurrection, but the TV shows are reflecting that as well. So at the moment, there's a TV show going on called Dangerous Journeys of the Apostles. Basically, it's following the 12 apostles and the introduction to this little 30-second clip of this TV show as it's being advertised is like something out of a Hollywood movie. Uh, there are people getting flogged, there's blood everywhere, uh, there's guys being crucified upside down, uh, there's people being tortured. And I'm thinking, yeah, actually, that's pretty true to the Bible. <laughs> that's the norm. In fact, that's what happened to all of these guys. All of these guys, bar one, came to a grisly death. It was a norm not just for them, but this grisly death was a norm for most Christians because up until 300 AD, before Constantine made Christianity the state religion, it was a known fact that that persecution was the norm. In fact, it was within this atmosphere that Christianity absolutely exploded. And we're nuts. And as one historian put it, the reason Christianity succeeded over dozens of other religions was because Christians died better than anyone else. They died better than anyone else. They died singing. They died forgiving their executioners. They died encouraging each other. And that happened throughout history, right? People being burned at the stake and cheering each other on in England during the Protestant Reformation. They died better than anyone else. And so here is what the heart of this passage is saying. If you get the resurrection, if you more than just believe it in your head, but you experience the resurrection, you become a hero, you get courageous. That's what Paul is saying here. He's one of those guys that ended up in a grisly death. And we know of his exploits in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talks about all the things that happened to him. He got stoned, he gets flogged, he's on the move, he's in danger from rivers and from bandits and from countrymen and from Gentiles. He didn't sleep, he was shipwrecked. If there was anyone who was going to talk about danger, it was this guy. But there's also a fascinating dynamic when I thought, look, we're just going to have a one-off and talk about courage. It was a thing that really intrigued me as as I I thought, let's just sit in this topic for one Sunday. And something was fascinating. There's a part in Revelation 21 at the very end where it says, no more tears, no more crying, etc., etc. We know that. Just after that, it says, those who will not be with God forever in eternity. And you can call that hell or whatever you like. But it describes those who will not be with God forever. And it says, the unbelievers and the cowardly. And I was fascinated by this because it helped me realize this, that courage is not so much about your natural-born temperament. Because courage is a matter of character, the Bible says. In other words, courage should be emerging from your life as much as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. In fact, maybe the fruits of the Spirit aren't exhaustive there, but, but maybe that's what they should have. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience and courage. Courage. If you get the resurrection, you should be courageous. That's what happened to those apostles. They got the resurrection and they took on empires and they were killed for it. Question then this morning Are you growing in fearlessness? Might be growing in love and joy. We've done a lot of talk about that this year, about growing in character. The question for us is Are you growing in fearlessness? 
Do you have courage? Are you courageous? Can you go into the arena like those first apostles? They, they didn't have a supernatural dose of God. They had something. What is it? What did they do? How did they get it? Here's where we'll go this morning. We're going to look at the need for courage, why we need it. We're going to look at what courage is and then the mystery of courage. Uh, what the need for it, what it is, the mystery of courage. The need for it. I'm going to be really brief here because it's unpleasant. But I don't know about you, but is it just me that our society is becoming increasingly characterized by fear and anxiety? Whole reason why I want to preach on this this morning. Whole reason why my heart is hurting this morning. I'm just seeing a church that is living in that society being gripped by fear and anxieties. Now, is it just me? I, I don't think so. In fact, an article from the Australian National University was titled Australia, Identity, Fear and Governance in the 21st Century. And at the beginning it says this, in this volume we consider the recent challenges and changes and how Australians themselves feel about them under these three main themes that they identify, identity, governance and fear. They say these themes suitably capture the concerns of Australians in times of such change. Fear is an emotional reaction to particular changes and challenges and produces particular responses from individuals, politicians, communities and nations alike. Fear of crime, fear of terrorism, fear of change are all considered in this volume. Sums it up, right? Is it just me or is it since what, 9-11 that we have seen a steady shift of fear and anxiety in this country and around the world? That since 9-11, whether it be 9-11, whether it be the GFC, whether it be the Lint Cafe, that fear and anxiety is on the rise in Australia. And I think it's because for the first time we are discovering that the vaccine that is our geographic isolation is starting to wear off. Wouldn't you agree? That all of these things are bearing in on us and we see, particularly with the rise in recent times of ISIS and ISIL or whatever you want to call those extremists, that the, the war efforts that are going on in the world are no longer limited to the countries like Africa and Libya and Beirut. And in recent times that the focus of these war efforts is not geographic, but it's religiously based. And we Christians are fair and square in the firing line. Fear is rising Fear is right. I even saw this side note. I saw this the other day where seek.com.au had this big billboard down at Circular Quay. And, and it said, don't fear change. Fear not changing. <laughs> and I thought, that's a, that's a perfect ad for our times. Yeah, this is how you fix fear. Just, just overcome your fear with an even bigger fear. <laughs> What's different about Christianity? Because what, what we see here in the world is what we come to grips with is we can't live in a world without change or danger, whether it's terror, change, epidemics, war, danger's absolutely coming. How do we deal with this? What do we do with this? See, in the past, what we've done in our more modernised society is you dealt with it by creating a safe society. We were geographically isolated. We're the lucky country. We're the land down under. But we're realising now that danger is coming and it's pressing in. And so as a result, we're finding that we're having to come back to the way that they've dealt with it for centuries, back in Paul's time, that you don't make a safe society, you actually deal with the fear itself. 
And in dealing with the fear itself, you come back to this tool that people have lived lives all of centuries. You know what it is called? It's called courage. We're going to have to work out what courage is because courage has become a vestigial organ. That's a medical term for saying like the appendix. You know, the appendix just over time it evolved into nothingness because it never had to be used. I wonder if courage has become the vestigial organ of the Christian life. We're not in the arenas anymore. It's a safe place for some in Western Christianity, and we have to look at what it is. What is courage? That's the need for it. Danger's coming. What is it then? What is courage? Let me set this up quickly so we can focus on how to get it. If you read through the commentators, and we've got, by the way, we've got got 25 minutes to get through what I realised halfway through could be a six-week series. (laughs) So you can bear with me, take notes, phones, write on the blue cards, whatever it might be, because I'll throw it at you. What, what we're realising is that through the commentators that courage is, is what it is, the definition of courage is actually incredibly aligned across the major religions and philosophies. So in summary, you're not going to get a vast difference of a definition between Christianity and Confucianism and the Greeks and the Romans. Here's how they summarise what courage is, or at least the reading I've been doing, three, three aspects to it, three aspects to courage. First one is that, uh, that you have to commit to a principle. The second one is that you have to identify a danger if you commit to that principle. And the third part of courage or aspect of courage is that you act in spite of the fear that arises from that danger. So you commit to a principle, you identify there's a danger associated with it, and then you act regardless of the danger. The commitment to a principle means there is no courage unless you put the interests of something, someone or someones ahead of your own. That's what commitment to a principle is. You can't have courage unless you do that. Why would you do that? Why would you throw yourself in front of a car for anyone else? Their interest has to be ahead of your own. The second thing is then, once you've got that principle, you have to identify a danger that arises if you commit to that. It means if you haven't identified a danger, you're not courageous. Here's what I mean. There's this fascinating scene in The Three Amigos with Martin Short and Chevy Chase and Steve Martin. Great movie back in 1986. Anyway, there's a, a girl who's te- terribly afraid of all of these Mexican bandits down in Mexico and she was loved the three amigos on this television show. So she writes to them and says, can you come and help fight the bandits? And these three guys from Hollywood think that, that they're going down for a paid acting job. And so they come to a Mexican standoff with these real-life Mexican bandits and they're there fighting and then one of them gets hit by a bullet and Steve Martin goes, oh, real bullets? You're in trouble, mister. (laughs) Then suddenly they realise they're real bandits and they run away screaming and crying. (laughs) You see, there's no courage unless you identify that there's the danger. So not only are you committed to a principle, you identify the danger. But the last part of, of courage is you act even when you identify that in spite of the fear. So let me summarise, wrap all of this up for you in terms of clear definition. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's an overwhelming of the fear so that you act anyway. It's not the absence of fear in your life. It's like this, I have, we've got the air conditioning at home, the ducted air conditioning, and there's this funny little thing on the wall called a thermostat. 
I type in 18 degrees in summer or 23 degrees in winter. And what happens in winter is as it progressively gets colder and colder and colder outside, there reaches a, a, a definitive point when click and the thermostat kicks in. What happens? The house starts to heat up. And so the house gets warmer and warmer. So now you can walk around in your thongs and your singlet top and you can talk and you can nap. You can do all the things when it's absolutely freezing outside. Now, courage works the same way. Fear is like the freezing cold in your life and courage is something that kicks on when the danger reaches a certain set point that enables you not in the absence of fear, but enables you to act in spite of the fear because the heat overwhelms it. You see that? It's something that over, something kicks in that overwhelms. And so, oh, now we start to see what happens with these apostles now. Verse 30, Paul says, I've been endangered all the time. I've, I'm constantly in danger every hour for yourselves. So Paul's been in this himself. We see that these apostles, that this wasn't an absence of fear. It was something that overwhelmed it. So some of you are saying, well, how do I get that? Where does it come from? Some of you are saying, where do we get to the Bible in this? It's been 10 minutes. Let's go. All right, verse 34, 32, 31. Is that good enough? Let's go. 34, 32, 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the, the fascinating verse here, verse 34. How do, we, how do we get this? Here's what this, the Bible, this word here says that you're going to need here this morning. It says you're going to need a truth beyond your own feelings. It's also, you're going to need a horizon beyond your own circumstances. You're going to need an aim beyond your own happiness. Truth, a horizon, and an aim. Allow me to share now why I think the resources for this mystery in Christianity are totally different. Verse 34 is a fascinating verse. Paul says, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. Come back to your senses. It's a fascinating way to put it after this huge argument about the resurrection. He says, come back to your senses. Come back to a truth. I used to say as a kid, Dad, I don't feel like going to school today. And often say, well, son, if, if I don't feel like doing a lot of things, but we've just got to do it. Any of you have parents like that? Yeah. <laughs> Question though, why, why is that only ever applicable to the kids? Because I, I figure these days we all grow up and in this postmodern society you get taught as a kid that you've got to go do things because there's an ultimate truth, that there's education that's good for you. But then you grow up and oh, there is no truth, truth's relative. What is truth, as Pilate says in Jesus Christ, superstar? What is truth? Unchanging laws? Are, your truths the same? are my truths the same as yours? What does it change when we grow up? You have to come back to a fundamental truth. In other words, you can't get courage unless there's some form of ultimate truth. See, the modern mindset says, look, I'm not sure about this whole Christianity thing. I'm not sure if I believe the dogmas. I'm not sure about these truths. Maybe theirs, they're yours, they're mine. But this whole chapter is written to say you can't treat Christianity like that. People coming out and saying, oh, I wonder if Christianity will work for me. No, look, Christianity is not true because it works for you. Christianity works because it's true. <laughs> look at the apostles. Look at the 30-second clip from National Geographic. How's that working for you? <coughs> Christianity is not true because it works for you. It works because it's true. And see, from a non-biblical point of view, look, it just makes common sense. You've got to have an ultimate truth. 
Because nothing's going to make sense. Any of you seen the news this week? When a 20-something-year-old woman is murdered days out from her wedding? Tell me this morning that the world is not full of meaningless, senseless violence. A modern person might say to you, Oh, well, you know, you've just got to find a positive thought to replace a negative thought. No, says the Bible. Doesn't work like that. Genesis 3 says the Bible is the Bible is as real and raw as you're going to get. Genesis 3 says this world ain't how it's meant to be. And it is messed up and it is stuffed up and there is evil and there is injustice in this place and it is a murky, dark place. But God has broken into that. And God is doing something about that. And God, through his people, is progressively unraveling this evil. And by the way, it won't happen until he comes back. But there will be a day in Revelation 21 where there is no more anger and there is no more crying and there is no more tears and there is no more pain. Question for you this morning. Is that true? See, because if it is, now you have a basis for courage. And if it's not true... Pack up the lights. Because if it's not true, then all of this is senseless and it's meaningless and it means nothing. And so some of you are saying, hey, look, I've come to Christianity to check it out. I've, I've had some relational setbacks and financial setbacks. I'm just trying to see if Christianity works for me, but I'm not sure about this dogma and this truth that you Christians always talk about. I'm saying to you this morning, look, you, the resurrection says you have to make a call. You actually need the gumption to live by the fundamental framework by which you're living by. And if Paul says that Christ has not been raised from the dead and that is not true and that has not changed history, then everything's meaningless. And there is no basis for courage. So you need to have a truth beyond yourself. The second thing is you need to have a horizon beyond your circumstances. Verse 32 a horizon beyond your own circumstances. It says here, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You cannot have courage if there's no truth, but at the same time, if there's no horizon in beyond this world, then there's no basis for right or wrong. And if there's no basis for right or wrong, then why would you throw yourself into the fire for anyone or anything? You see, if we are all just atoms that are going to ground, if we're just a bunch of stardust and carbon that is going to the grave and one day being consumed by the, by the worms, then there's no basis for courage. There's no, there's no person or thing or law or rule to say that this thing over this thing is worth dying or sacrificing for. There's no basis for courage if you've got no horizon beyond. Science and religion can only tell you what is. It can't tell you what ought to be. I mean, look, like, go to nature. You could go to nature for some love and compassion and the strong upholding the weak. You could go there, right? No. What's nature? Nature's survival of the fittest. Science can only tell you what is. And look at verse 32 again. It says, If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I love the bluntness. I love the rawness of this verse. I love how real it is. Paul's saying, if, there, if this is all there is, go and eat some cake. Don't sit here and listen to this, young chump. <laughs> go home. Enjoy yourself if this is all it is. And Paul, deeper though for us, he's saying, if, if this is all there is, then the fear that you are feeling right now and the injustice that you have been served in this life, 
and still continues to haunt you, all of those things, tough cookies. In fact, actually, that, that would not quite be right because there's too much of a value judgment in tough cookies. Better, better answer to it is saying, if that is it, the injustice, the pain, the fear, so what? You're a bunch of atoms floating around the universe. You're just a bit smaller than the earth. The resurrection says you've got to make a call. And it, it profoundly affects us if we have a horizon. And speak of Easter, it's the season for me to reflect on the remarkable difference that it was in my family when we did an Easter egg hunt as kids. Ever done an Easter egg hunt as kids with cousins or, or siblings? It's like World War III erupts. There is elbows, there is, there is knees in the back, uh, there is pulling of hair, there is kicking and screaming. We had that. There were four kids in our family. It started off that way until there was a new rule where mum and dad said, well, the, the deal is that you... You can go and search for the Easter eggs, but at the end, we all put it into a basket. Anyone's parents do this? You all put it in a basket, and then we all distribute it evenly. Now, that was a profound change in our family, because suddenly all these kids who were otherwise the year before pulling hair out, kicking, screaming, knee each other in the back, they'd go up, they'd find an egg, and they'd say to their brothers and, brother and sister, oh no, after you. Wow, what what a remarkable supernatural power. Friend, if if it's all coming back to you in the end, if God is if no more tears, no more crying, if it's all coming back to you, if the injustice is going to be restored, if your provision is going to be overflowing, if you're going to be feasting at the banquet, if all the eggs are coming back into the basket and you are not going to miss out, then and only then can you look injustice and evil and, uh, and unfairness in the face and say, after you. Because you now have a horizon that's beyond your circumstances. That is Another basis for courage that the Christian has over anyone else. Let me wrap it up here. You need to, point three, you need to aim beyond your own happiness. I haven't lost you yet, by the way, have I? Are we okay? All right. Because we're saying we need this. That's the vestigial organ. And what is it? It's a commitment to something beyond yourself. It's, it's the thermostat kicking in. It's something welling up within you, overwhelming the fear. It's not an absence of fear. We're getting to what that means. Now we see here the final one. You need an aim beyond your own happiness. Verse 31. Why does Paul do all of this? He says here, I die every day. I mean that, brothers and sisters, just as surely as I glory over you in Jesus Christ. The version we had before said, I boast. We heard that recently. He said, I boast in you in Jesus Christ. We've talked glory for weeks. Glory in the Bible means weight, a significance, a center. So I'm not going to go back there. The point that I want to make here with glory is what you glory in will determine whether you live a life of cowardice or courage. What you glory in will determine whether you live a life of cowardice or courage. It will determine what you have courage in. It's a Groundhog Day principle. Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Uh, gets he's a TV reporter who's just downright ugly and obnoxious and he realises that he keeps waking up the same day, day after day after day and in so doing he starts falling in love with his TV producer and he does everything to get her attention but he's so obnoxious that she's not interested and he's fearing that he's going to die alone in this country town living day after day so what happens? As a result he starts doing ridiculously stupid and dangerous things 
Go start saving people around the town, running in front of cars, pushing people out of the way. And at the end of every day, he becomes a hero in the town. And people just love him. Now, question, was he being courageous? No, the courageous acts were merely him running from that which terrified him all along. And that was a fear of being alone and unloved. That's what he was afraid of. Not the Mack trucks that were coming at people. And so his glory was in the love and the acceptance, not the approval and the accolades. It was different. So what he gloried in determined whether he was a hero. And here's what makes you a hero. To be a hero, heroism for you today is to be able to stare whatever it is that you fear in the face and stand firm. And instead of running from it, you are rock solid. And so what it means, for example, is if your ultimate glory is in comfort, then stress will terrify you. If your ultimate glory is in approval, then rejection will terrify you. If your ultimate glory is in power, then humiliation will terrify you. Can't you see why I haven't been big on personal application today? It's been deliberate. Because I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is churning this within you as I speak and you're applying these principles to yourself. What I'm saying is no person's terror is the same. It's different for each and every one of us. And it's all there. I know it's there because it's there in my life. What you glory in will determine whether or not you're a hero. Here's the mystery behind Christian courage. Here's how it differs from everything else. How did they die well? Paul's an example of it. We talked about it. Christians had a happiness and a joy beyond themselves. That their glory, their weight, their significance, their meaning is not in the things of this world. It's not in the approval. It's not in the, it's not in the power. It's not in the comforts. It's in Jesus Christ. Uh, I could go through so many different stories, but the thing that grabs me about Jesus Christ is for the first time within this paradigm, what I realized was that yes, he was God, and yes, he did some beautiful things, and yes, we talk about love at, uh, at Easter time and post-Easter, but you know what I realized that he was this week? He was courageous. He was so utterly committed to a principle, redeeming you and restoring you with God. He was so utterly committed in identifying the danger associated with that. He knew that. He came not at the risk of his life, but at the cost. He knew what he had to go and do. And yet he stood in the face of that and he did it anyway. God wasn't just a God of love. He's a God of courage. This is the, this is the God that, that says, no, don't replace your fear with a fear like seek.com.au. This is a God that's real and says, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. At the cross at Easter time, it's Jesus Christ saying, all the things that you really, really do terrify you, rejection, a lack of approval, pain, suffering, torture, death, all of that I've been through, he says. He, he, he just comes to you in the Bible, he says, I've been there, I've done that, bought the t-shirt, next. And that is what gives the Christian courage when they look at Jesus Christ as their hero are you growing in fearlessness? It means for two different types of people this morning. Christian, is, there a, is the thermostat working? Is there a point in your life, is there something in your life that when the coldness and the freezing of the circumstances in your life get to a point, does something kick in? Can you hear it click? And does a courage begin to emerge within you? Are you growing in that? Is it emerging in your life exactly the same way as love and joy and peace and patience? Because courage is not a matter of temperament. 
what I'm saying with all of this, brothers and sisters, is my heart's hurting. I've done too much pastoral time this year with people who have been paralysed by the freezing cold that is fear and anxiety. I just want to say to you this morning that maybe, maybe the most courageous thing that you can do is to go and start getting some help for that fear and anxiety. I'm not the sort of preacher that's going to come up and say to you, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, it's true. But I wouldn't dare be so cliched with you. There are complexities, there are nuances to the fears and anxieties that you have in your life at the moment. And we are about holistic ministry here. And maybe the most courageous thing that you can do is to, is to allow God to speak into your heart with that this morning and to put your hand up and say, I need some help. To either see a ministry team, to see a professional... But to get some help, you are not going to fix this in a sermon. Maybe, uh, maybe you're afraid to identify yourself as a Christian where you are and you need some courage with that. What if your commitment to Christianity, you're identifying a danger? There's a danger that it could wreck your career. There's a danger it could wreck a relationship with a friend. There's a danger that it could wreck the person that you think that you might want to marry. You know that's why there's been no application what you're terrified of this morning. All I want to say is, can you begin to imagine those things tangled and bloodied and messed up in the arena of your life? <laughs> because here's the thing, we, we as Christians in Sydney, Australia, we may not go into the big arenas, the Colosseums and the Roman theatres of life, but we can start with the small ones. We can start with the small ones. And so what is it that is gripping you at the moment? Uh, look, on the other side of the fence, there's those that are here that are checking the Christianity thing out. Where We are always glad that you are here. You're saying, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm trying to see if this thing works. I'm not sure what I believe. And Look, I guess what I'm saying to you this morning is it would be, it'd be silly to work out whether or not your car needs petrol or go looking for a petrol station after your car's run out of fuel. And I'm saying, look, it's even sillier to go starting to work out whether or not the things that you are really living for are going to work. So you go start looking at those things after your life is broken down. Start looking now. Start determining what it is that you are glorying with. Stay with us long enough to, to get through the layers of your heart. If you're wondering if Christianity is true, the Bible's raw and real. I'm with Paul this morning. If it's not, then I, would have, I wouldn't be here. I'd be joining you for a piece of cake. If all there is, let's just eat, let's drink, let's get on with it. Oh, 25 minutes, I could have gone six weeks. <laughs> I <didn't> feel that. <laughs> Courage is standing firm in the face of fear and uncertainty. This has just been a taster. And there is a resource there. There is a resource there that if you get this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there can be a courage, a fearlessness that emerges in your life the way that it did back then. Let's pray.